We're continuing this morning in our series through the book of Jonah. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Jonah chapter 3. It contains the shortest sermon ever preached in the Bible. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Literally five words in the Hebrew. So you might be disappointed to know that my sermon this morning will be a bit longer than that. Of course, I can be persuaded otherwise. The moment you begin repenting in sackcloth and ashes, I give you my word. I will step down and I will relent from this disaster that I'm about to bring upon you. Um, over the past couple of weeks, we've, we've learned that the book of Jonah is a lot, is, is, it's about a lot more than a big fish. It's about mercy. It's about God's mercy. Um, it's about this, this nature of God, this character of God, this propensity God has of letting people off the hook, giving them a second chance. It's a wonderful thing. I remember playing soccer in high school. I was left wing, which you think would be a pretty easy position to keep. Uh, except that you have to compete with all the other lefties who are salivating for this position, right? Uh, one mistake, and you're out of the game. And this happened to me a lot. Uh, I would start, I would mess up, and then I would sit while the other lefty took my place. But then as the game went on, of course, my replacement would begin showing signs of weariness. And uh, my coach would be standing on the sideline, and he'd keep looking over at me for hours, it seemed, until finally, Drew, yes, sir, <laughs> right? Let's go again. And it's one of the most exhilarating feelings, right? To take the field. If you've played sports, and especially if you've been pretty bad at them, uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. The, the coach calls you, and you jump right off off the bench, like the seat's on fire, and you take the field with an excitement, uh, a freshness, a tenacity, and honestly, a sense of forgiveness, right? It's a second chance. Uh, you probably have your own stories about second chances, whether you got them or gave them. Maybe it was in a game, like I just talked about. Maybe it was on a test that you just totally miffed. You got a second chance. Maybe it was in a relationship that you totally blew it. They gave you another chance. It's a wonderful thing. It's a do-over. It's a fresh start. It can hardly be described with words, the feeling that comes with that. And what I want us to see this morning is that God loves doing this sort of thing. He loves it. He is a God of the second chance. The moment we repent, the moment we repent, and turn back toward him is the moment when his scandalous mercy, as we see in Jonah, when his scandalous mercy takes hold of us and gives us a fresh start. Uh, there are three episodes of repentance in our passage this morning. Jonah repents, Nineveh repents, and God repents. Think of that. God, the creator, the unchangeable one, repenting. That's a tricky one, isn't it? We'll get to that. But first, let's start with Jonah. 
Now, chapter 2 ended with a pretty wet burp, to put it delicately. I thought that that would get a little bit more attention. I feel like I've offended you. And chapter 3 begins with Jonah having just landed on the shore. But notice, however, God does not congratulate him. He hardly leaves him time to breathe. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. It's nearly verbatim what God had told Jonah in chapter 1. Nothing has changed from the very beginning. God's will has not altered. Everything that has happened, the storm, the sailors, the fish, is in the past. What remains is what God demands. His purpose prevails. Do you remember Jesus doing this very thing with Peter? Peter had just committed the biggest sin of his life. We don't know what else Peter did in his life, but this one was pretty big, right? He denied Jesus three times. Talk about a real friend. Peter had this critical moment to show his loyalty to Jesus, and he blew it. He had denied Jesus. He had denied the faith. But what does Jesus do? Well, keep your finger in Jonah chapter 3 and flip over to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. It's worth looking at for ourselves. Jesus has just been raised from the dead. And now he gets alone with Peter for the first time. Uh, John chapter 21, starting at verse 15. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Did you see the mercy? Jesus forgives Peter. Nothing has changed. And he promises him another opportunity, another critical moment when Peter can show his loyalty to Jesus by giving up his very life. It was a second chance. And that's just what Jonah gets. Now turn back to Jonah chapter 3. God gives him the same message as in the beginning. Arise, go to Nineveh. But this time, Jonah obeys. Verse 2, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Has God ever given you a second chance like this? 
Some of you might be running from God right now. Some of you, you're doing things you know are wrong. And you feel so far from God that you don't even know what it looks like to turn back around and start over. You need to take a good look at what God did with Jonah. He never abandoned him. He never gave up on him. He never wrote him off and forgot about him. No, it was his relentless, scandalous mercy that drew Jonah back to him. Jonah didn't repent because he was afraid of God. He was in the belly of a fish. He's saying, I'm in hell in chapter 2. It couldn't have gotten much more worse for Jonah. Jonah repented because he knew that God would take him back. It's like what Paul said in Romans. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So how about you? If you knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that God would forgive you and give you a fresh start, if you knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that God wouldn't judge you but would receive you back like a son or daughter, restore your joy and sense of belonging, get you back on track with his will for your life, give you a fresh sense of calm and peace, wouldn't you come back? It's interesting how God deals with Jonah when he repents. Because on the one hand, he receives him back, warm and fuzzies, no questions asked. But on the other hand, he continues to shape him. So look again at verse 1 and notice the ambiguity in God's renewed command to Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. This would have been so hard for Jonah. Like hard for Abraham when God called him to leave his country and Abraham says, where? And he says, I'll tell you later. And with Isaac, go climb that mountain with your son. What are we going to do when we get up there? I'll tell you later. But this challenge is exactly what Jonah needs. God is teaching Jonah about unconditional obedience. Unconditional obedience. Jonah needed to learn to trust God and submit everything to him. And now that he was back in the arms of love, the shaping and molding would continue. God is picking up where he left off with Jonah, still 100% committed to bringing out his full humanity. Um, every now and then, when I travel on the interstate, I see, um, I'll see a big R&L carrier's semi-truck with their company logo writ large on the back. Do you know what it says? Anything, anywhere, anytime. Anything, anywhere, anytime. And whenever I see it, I have to make myself say that back to God. Where do you want me? Is it here? Is it in Roanoke? Is it in North Carolina? Is it in West Virginia? Is it in Louisiana? It's funny, I often see those trucks in the states where I most don't want to see them. Mary Elizabeth, you drive for a while. I'm going to take a nap in the, in the belly of the ship, right? I have to ask him, what do you want me to do? 
really enjoy what I'm doing right now, but is there something else that you'd like for me to do? Something I would never expect or choose, but something you created me for. Something that would serve your kingdom in a way that right now I have no idea how to imagine it. I found that those are some of the hardest questions to ask God because it forces me to give up my own vision and plans for my life. It's like holding a $100 bill out in a breeze. It exposes the idols in my heart. It leads me to repentance. When is the last time you opened yourself up to God like that? When is the last time you sang uh, the song we sang last week, Take My Life and Let It Be, and really meant it? That's a brutal song. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Take my silver and my gold. Take my will and make it thine. This is a hard prayer, especially when you're running from God. Because, but because of God's mercy, because he's kind and good and trustworthy, we can pray this prayer knowing that it's going to turn out, that God wants what is very best for us. He's our father. So Jonah does that. Jonah repents. He stops running. He changes direction, and he goes to Nineveh, however reluctantly. And God gives him a message to say, finally, in verse 4. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, Believe it or not, there's a lot in this message, more than meets the eye. Take that verb, overthrown. The word has a variety of meanings. Uh, the most common one, the most immediate meaning that the Ninevites would have understood, and, and the one that Jonah most certainly intended, was destroyed, obliterated. It's the same word used in Genesis for the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Wiped off. But it can also mean changed or transformed. Only context reveals which meaning to assign. And then, of course, there's the mention, the ultimatum of 40 days. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Nineveh's destruction, so it seems inevitable. It's a ticking time bomb. 40 days until fire falls from heaven. But again, there's a deeper meaning. In the Bible, the number 40 implies a time of testing. For 40 days, God sent rain on the earth with Noah and the ark. For 40 years, God disciplined Moses in the wilderness after he killed the Egyptian. God said, "Woo, you're not ready for this. For 40 years, God set the Israelites wandering in the desert before entering the promised land. For 40 days, God chastened the prophet Elijah, who started thinking he was the only righteous person left on earth. For 40 days, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. But what's the outcome of all these instances? Noah is saved. Moses becomes the leader of God's people. Israel takes the land, Elijah is restored, and Jesus conquers the devil. 
In fact, we know of no instance in the Bible when the 40 days or years do not lead to salvation. But Jonah seems totally unaware of this. Only God, in his infinite wisdom and mercy, understands this real meaning. Could he have trusted Jonah with the unencrypted message? So Jonah preaches this surprisingly powerful, grace-filled message. And the amazing, the unthinkable happens. Nineveh, that great city, the capital of that ancient empire whose methods of torture make Nazi Germany look humane, they sincerely and humbly repent. It's almost like they cease to be themselves. They completely change. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They fast. Adults, children, dogs, cats, cattle, sheep. Nobody eats or drinks anything. Even the king himself participates and leads the way. Look at his humility. In verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, meaning he refused to sit for any longer in the place of power. He removed his kingly robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he says in verse 9, who knows? Who knows? God might relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. This is what Jesus brings up with Israel in our gospel reading. Didn't know anything. Nineveh repented on a whim. They didn't know anything about the mercy of God or his love for the world or his character. They didn't have the slightest relationship with him and they repented but Israel you won't even budge it's this it's at the same time a rebuke and an invitation for us you know God is full of mercy you know how in Christ he suffered for you and bled for you and died for you and you still won't repent? You know that God will take you back in a moment's notice, but you still won't turn? Nineveh took a gamble. Who knows? But you and I have a promise. God leaves the light on for us. You can knock at any time, and the door of his mercy will be opened. What in the world is stopping you. So Jonah repents. And Nineveh repents. And then of course. God repents. Look at verse 10. When God saw what they did. How they turned from their evil way. God relented. Older versions actually say. He repented. Of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Now. This seems tricky at first. It can all be smoothed out pretty easily. Has God really changed? Based on what we've just learned about Jonah's cryptid message um, and God's heart throughout this book for the people of Nineveh, has God changed his mind? 
Has God changed his plans? On the contrary, everyone else has changed. Jonah changed, the king changed, the people changed, the cattle changed. No, God is the one who remained consistent, who kept his word. Listen to what God tells the prophet Jeremiah elsewhere. This is Jeremiah chapter 18. If at any time, this is what he says, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended for it. This is not an unusual statement. This is the character of God. He tells the prophet Ezekiel in another place, Look, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? God pleading with them. God is full of mercy. Scandalous mercy. And this is what Jonah, if he was going to be effective in his calling, needed to learn and relearn and relearn. You know, it's hard for me to punish my kids. Don't get me wrong, I'll do it. But when it comes to following through with my threats or promises, however you want to look at them, I find it really hard. And why is that? It's because I want them to enjoy life. I want them to live in my blessing and, and know that I love them and run and play and sing and bask in the knowledge of that. Every afternoon, um, our two-year-old son is supposed to go down for a nap and our two daughters have quiet time. Well, a couple Sundays ago, our two girls had record-breaking bad quiet times. They were yelling and stomping and hitting each other, and of course they did the unthinkable. They woke up pregnant, mama bear. Not a smart move, kid. We tried to tell you. So Mary Elizabeth and I dished out the penalties, and we tried to relate it to the crime as much as possible. You're acting crazy because you didn't eat your lunch like we told you, and you replaced it instead with sugar. So no sugar for the rest of the day. But wait a minute. It's Sunday. And in our house, there's a temporal ban on all punishments. Now look, that's crazy. We're going to change it when they become teenagers. Like, you're punishing <laughs> But while they're little, we can get away with this act of mercy. So, and secondly, so it's Sunday. And secondly, there's a birthday party today, which means there will be cake. And you don't want this person to feel bad that you didn't eat their cake. Okay, you can have cake. I mean, we're not going to let God look bad for this. <laughs> and you can do whatever you want for the rest of the day because it's Sunday and we're Christians and you're baptized and you live differently, but tomorrow, hellfire. <laughs> it starts. So we go through the day, all is well. Next morning, we wake up and we bake biscuits. You can't have biscuits without jelly. So there you can have some jelly, but no more, okay? 
Oh, and later they did such a good job at the dentist office, so we gave them a cake pop at the bakery. So by the end of the day, there was hardly any difference in their treat intake. Now, is this perfect parenting? (laughs) No. And some of you older parents need to whip Mary Elizabeth into shape about this. I'm not, but, but look, I'm not saying that God never punishes, that he's just some pushover. The point I'm trying to make is that loving parents don't enjoy punishing their children. We're rooting for them. We don't enjoy making them pay for what they've done. And neither does God. Paul calls him in Ephesians 3, he says, the father Uh, on behalf of whom every father, every parent on earth is named. This is the God of mercy whose mercy trickles down into our parenting, into our relationships. He's the God of the second chance. How many times has God given you a second chance? Over and over and over and over again, right? How many times has God relented repented with you? How many times has he shown you mercy when you least deserved it? How many times have you done the same doggone thing you did last week only to be met by him every week with forgiveness and a banquet feast? So here's the thing you need to do this morning. First, you need to accept that mercy. And it doesn't count if you accept it and still feel guilty. You need to receive God's gift of forgiveness. If you've been running from him, just stop. Just stop. It's not complicated. Stop, turn around, repent, and come back to him. He will never say, I told you so. He will embrace you like a father. But secondly... You need to examine your own lives in light of that mercy. You've received so much. Are you extending? This past week, even this day, have you extended that same scandalous second chance mercy to someone else? Are you known in your family, on your street, in your neighborhood, in your work, as a merciful person for forgiving people and giving them a fresh start. It really all comes down to this, folks. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, for any living, breathing human being, this is hard to do. But for anyone who knows the God of mercy, who has experienced the saving love of Christ and lived in his forgiveness, it's more than possible. It's promised. And it's there for the taking. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.